Shalom Aleichem, and welcome to the Schmooze, the Yiddish Book Center's podcast. I'm Lisa Newman, and today I'm visiting with Alyssa Bimporet. Alyssa is professor of history at Queens College CUNY and Graduate Center, and Jerry and William Unger chair in Eastern European Jewish Studies and the Holocaust at Queens College. She is the author of Becoming Soviet Jews, the Bolshevik Experiment in Minsk, which won the National Jewish Book Award and the Frankel Prize in Contemporary History. She is co-editor of Women in Genocide, Survivors, Victims, and Perpetrators, and the author of the recently published and recent winner of the National Book Award, Legacy of Blood, Jews, Pogroms, and Ritual Murder in the Lands of Soviets. Welcome, Alyssa. Thank you. I'm delighted to have you here today. Um, uh, it's an amazing read, an important read, and one that really um, enlightened me on many fronts. Um, so I'm eager to speak with you about the book. And first off, to ask you what drew you to write about this. So I would say that there are um, different things that drew me to write this. First of all, there's an anecdote. I was in uh, Lithuania in Vilnius several years ago. I was finishing my first book. And I was speaking to a colleague um, and uh, who teaches Eastern European Jewish history and um, at Vilnius University. And it was more or less at the time of uh, Passover, um, Easter. And she mentioned that she brought to class matzah um, for the students to taste. And um, most of the students refused to taste the matzah. And I was very surprised. And I said, wait, what, what is going on? And she said, um, why are you asking me that question? You study Eastern Europe. You should know what they suspect might be in the matzah, uh, which then led me to think of the, um, you know, uh, the blood libel or the, fa the false accusation that Jews kill Christian children because they need the blood for ritual purposes. It drew, it drew me to think about this accusation in the Soviet context, right? In the context of a system that um, after 1917 really tried to um, uh, do away with anti-Semitism. Uh, so what happened to that accusation? The other reason that drew me into this, um, you know, to this research and writing this book is really the, the work of a Yiddish writer, Rachel Feigenberg, um, who, um, who experienced the pogroms of the Civil War, this unprecedented violence that took place from 1918 until 1921, when approximately, well, perhaps as many as 150,000 Jews uh, uh, were murdered or died as a result of the violence um, and the illnesses that broke out um, afterwards. And she, um, she wrote these extraordinary accounts of, um, of the pogroms in, uh, in specific shtetlach, um, uh, in small Jewish settlements, um, especially one of them, Dubovo. Um, um, and, and she really drew me in. Her voice, uh, the, the, the pow how powerful her accounts or the, the, the way in which she is able to capture this, uh, you know, the intimacy of violence, the extent to which neighbors killed neighbors was just extraordinary. And um, so these are the two, I guess, reasons. 
uh, why I started this um, this path and um, and then wrote this book. You mentioned Feigenberg, and we uh, in the last issue of Pockentrager, the Yiddish Book Center's English language magazine, as we say, um, we read, or we, I'm sorry, we included um, in the issue, which was about women's memoirs, a translation of some of the work that you've done on that memoir, and it's just, it's pretty astounding. Um, so I was, I was aware of that, and then I knew a bit about the Bellis affair, but I had no awareness that that was just not an isolated incident. So I was really struck by the fact that this trope continued, I mean, well past the Holocaust. And I'd ask you to speak a little bit about that and also how you uncovered these accounts, because I imagine that they're not things that everybody would make readily available or were easy to find. And you've done such an amazing job researching this. Thank you. Um, so, um, right, so we think about the Baileys affair, 1911-1913, when Menachem Mendel Baileys is accused of uh, killing uh, a young Ukrainian boy in Kiev, and then there's the trial, and um, he is eventually acquitted, uh, although, uh, you know, as, as we know, and as uh, Bernard Malamud has, has written in um, The Man from Kiev, um, the um, the judges do um, uh, you know do imply that well maybe he didn't kill this boy but there might be a, a Jewish sect that engages in this ritual so the assumption in terms of the scholarship is that this accusation in a way disappears in the Soviet lands what I call the Soviet lands which means most of Belarusia Ukraine Kiev itself. Uh, Russia in general, under the Soviets. There is, you know, no scholar has written about that. So your question is, how did you find these accounts? And it was really hard to find, but I think that Yiddish, you know, the knowledge of Yiddish is crucial in order really to, you know, to, um, to explore the lived experience of Jews, but also of non-Jews. Uh, so how did I find them? I found these accounts in the Yiddish press. Uh, the Soviet Yiddish press, publications that came out in, uh, in Soviet Belarus, in Soviet Ukraine, even in, you know, in Russia, their Emis, um, there were accounts of these accusations against Jews. Now, what is so interesting is that in the context of the Soviet Union, which at least on paper uh, was committed to fighting against anti-Semitism, um, those who made the accusation against Jews are put on trial, right? Can you imagine any other, in any other place in, in Jewish history where those who make the accusation are put on trial and for making the accusation, they are arrested. Think yeah. about what is happening in, um, in the rest of Europe and uh, that is uh, slowly uh, becoming more and more, uh, you know, embracing more and more fascism, um, where, you know, the accusation is actually being exploited in, in uh, publications in that, that are issued uh, after Hitler comes to power, but even in neighboring Poland after 1935. Um, the accusation is culturally acceptable, but in the Soviet Union, it is officially not. 
acceptable. So um, Yiddish publications are crucial and memoirs, you know, for the uh, for the, the period during the war and the post-war period, right, after 1945, uh, I found reference to this accusation in um, in memoirs that were written by, uh, you know, in Yiddish that were written by uh, by Jews who had experienced this accusation or knew of others who had experienced this accusation. Of course, then from, you know, from the press and the memoirs, then I, uh, I also found some archival material, but I wouldn't have found the archival material had it not been for the press um, and the memoirs uh, that really led me uh, to, um, uh, you know, in that direction, really kind of encouraged me to, to search in the archives. And it's interesting because those accounts are obviously in Yiddish, as you mentioned, which means that they can communicate to an audience that is conversant in Yiddish, and also that it's you know related to you know Jewish culture and Jewish people and these atrocities that were you know said to have been done by them. Um, so it would allow that news to be shared but without others with no proficiency um, being able to read them. Is that correct? Precisely. And you're touching upon a very interesting aspect of, um, of the extent to which the Soviet state, um, uh, you know, really tackled the issue of anti-Semitism. This is why I said on paper it is committed to fighting against anti-Semitism, but in fact there is much more ambivalence and I kind of, uh, you know, um, um, explore that um, in the book. Um, so that one aspect that is very interesting is that, um, and, I, and I kind of touch upon that when I look, when I compare the extent to which this, the, the, the Yiddish publication of one uh, you know, that is issued in one specific region uh, discusses one case of ritual murder, whereas the publication that is issued in the same region in the non-Jewish language, meaning in Belarusian or Ukrainian or Russian, usually does not mention the incident. So you have that ambivalence of, of the, you know, the Soviet state that says, yes, we are against anti-Semitism, but then in fact, it's not that important. Why should we write about it in Russian, in Ukrainian, and in Belarusian when, you know, everyone has access to those languages? If the Jews want to discuss it, that is fine, um, but we are not going to, you know, address the issue in, uh, so for example, this, this one, one um, incident that really drew me to uh, to studying uh, ritual murder, uh, the, the blood libel in this context, that took place in 1937 in Minsk. Um, 1937 is the time of the Great Terror, when thousands of people are being arrested uh, and put on trial or not on trial and just arrested, purged, uh, shot, right? Uh, as Stalin is, um, uh, is uh, you know, hunting down the so-called enemies of the people. And in 1937, right, when people have other concerns, you have a blood libel trial against two Belarusian workers who accused uh, a Jewish worker of having killed um, 
you know, um, a Christian uh, worker uh, um, at the time of, you know, in March 1937, at the time of Passover. And, um, and there's no reference of that in the Belarusian, in the local publication in Belarusian or in Russian. Uh, it's only in Yiddish. It's, to me, was so interesting to see how this history played out. I mean, it, it, the, let's let's stop and say these accusations were so improbable. I mean, they were just they were, you know, crazy making to me. Um, obviously, uh, you don't have 600 people in a basement with nobody being aware of these 600 people missing, um, and other such accounts. But also, this whole thing seemed to be such uh, fraught with kind of used in a way as a kind of weaponized political tool. And it, it's a very complicated history. It is a very is true. Yes, yes, yeah. absolutely. Lisa. It is a very complicated history. Um, I mean, what I, what I am, um, what I try to capture is, um, is, 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 is precisely when did this take place? Uh, what are the um, what are the triggers? What is the context? Um, so I think that um, it is used very very often, yes, as um, as a political instrument, but it also fulfills um, a way of um, uh, you know of managing anxiety, right? Uh, which can be political anxiety, socioeconomic anxiety. Um, uh, so that, for example, I mean, the, the, the instance that you mentioned, um, uh, this blood libel accusation in 1945 uh, in the city of Lviv, uh, Lviv, Lemberg, uh, or Lemberic in Yiddish, um, when, you know, we're talking about a population, both Jewish and non-Jewish, that has suffered, ex you know, um, extraordinary under extraordinary circumstances of war, um, you know, uh, socioeconomic travail, uh, ethnic cleansing that is carried out by the Soviets against uh, against Poles, because now Lviv is considered a Ukrainian city. And of course, you have the Jews of Lviv who have been exterminated. Um, but you have a few Jews who return, Jewish refugees who return to Lviv um, from Central Asia, um, and all of a sudden these Jews return and they, you know, they they want to, to have their home back or their property back, and and all of a sudden you have all these different layers of anxiety that then trigger the the ritual murder accusation, right? Because it is something that is also very familiar culturally. Um, so it can be re-exploited, it can be kind of retrieved in this context of uh, socioeconomic and political crisis. Mm -hmm. that, that thread also was so well covered in the book and, again, so surprising to me when I started, you know, approaching the end of the book. And I don't want to... Well, Spoiler alert, it's a strange word to attach to a book like this. But, I mean, this this was a reoccurring theme, and it was prompted by other events, you know, historical events or um, the resulting events of the war, 
etc. But it happens. I mean, I think one of the last accounts is 1967, or even later. Is that right? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, um, I, it's just shocking to me. Um, yes, yes, of course. I mean, um, uh, but what is even more uh, shocking, again, it doesn't mean that, um, you know, when we talk about this, um, this false accusation, it doesn't mean that people really believe in it, right? That goes back to the point that mm -hmm. we were uh, addressing earlier about, uh, you know, these kind of, uh, be it being deployed for political reasons um, or, you know, to address socioeconomic crisis. But even very recently um, in Siberia, just a few years ago, two years ago, there was a terrible fire in a mall. Um, and of the many victims, many were, were children. And, um, and someone, again, this is on the margins, it's on social media, Russian, in Russian, uh, Russian social media, um, someone accused Jews of having, you know, set fire to the movie theater and taken the bodies of the children because it was at the time of Passover. I mean, this is a very marginal voice. Um, and again, it is, it is to some degree, this accusation is used to explain something that is so irrational. Uh, it is an irrational accusation, but it is also used to explain something irrational. Why did children die, right? So how can I how can I explain something so irrational, something so terrible? I'm going to kind of uh, refer to this uh, to to this trope. I'm going to reuse this trope, but it's very similar to what was happening in the Middle Ages, right? In the Middle Ages, mm -hmm. uh, how did the mortality rate, the significant mortality rate uh, of children, which, by the way, was uh, it was higher among, um, you know, uh, among uh, the Christian families than Jewish families, just because of the laws of, of um, the religious laws of, um, you know, of, um, you know, washing your hands uh, in, in Judaism, you know, that's the only reason why, but it was used, you know, this accusation uh, you know, why, why are Christian children dying more than Jewish children? It must be the you know, <laughs> that um, that Jews are engaging in this ritual, which, of course, I mean, builds on, uh, you know, there is a cultural historical memory of this, you know, uh, it's, uh, it is, after all, the reenactment of the killing of Christ, you know, you know um, in theory. But, um, you know, to go back to your, to your question, what is more extraordinary for me and this again touches upon the the politics of this accusation is um, what happened very recently in Russia, right? The Russian Orthodox Church um, put together this um, investigative uh, commission to um, to demonstrate once and for all, to make you know, to investigate once and for all whether the killing of Nicholas II. Uh, which was killed, um, you know, the last Tsar of Russia uh, was killed together with his family uh, um, by the Bolsheviks um, in 1918. So the, 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 this uh, investigative commission that was set up just two years ago in Russia by the Russian Orthodox Church to really uh, see if, 
is it true that Jews killed the fam the the Nicholas II and his family? Was this killing an act of Jewish ritual murder, right? So again, exploiting this idea of um, this identi identifying Jews with Bolsheviks and this idea of Judeo-Bolshevism. So that for me is, um, is, um, is, is really surprising, much more than this marginal voice from, you know, on the Russian social media, uh, you know, about the, the event in Siberia. Um, because this is official, right? This is the the the, um, the 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 Russian Church, you know, an official institution that is um, that is investigating this instance. It, it's uh, such an it's such a important history to understand, and I think you map it out really well. And it's, you know, it reminded me, too, of a history teacher I had in high school who always would mention to us that, you know, history repeats itself, um, and it, it comes in waves and things like that. So I wanted to ask you, and we're talking today in the midst of massive riots that are taking place across the country, you know, following the murder of George Floyd, and I wonder if you have any thoughts about this as it relates to sort of that the similarity of history with racism, bigotry, false you know false assumptions, um, and these acts against humanity born out of that bigotry, racism, and um, and if you have thoughts about that, I I wish I would have more than thoughts that I, I wish I had answers. Right? How do we solve this? How do we, um, you know, how do we get rid of it? Right. Uh, the accusation, uh, this accusation that is made against Jews and how do we get rid of racism today in this country? You know, you, you started out this question saying that I mapped out so nicely what happened in the context. Um, I did, but I don't have all the answers. I mean, I, I really tried to give answers as to why it happened, when it happened. And uh, but um, but how to prevent it from happening, I um, I don't have. And I and uh, yes, of course, there are um, there are so many parallels. I mean, when I was writing, we haven't really discussed the part of the book that addresses the pogroms, um, mm -hmm. the anti-Jewish violence, and um, it, what is so interesting was the parallel that I. Um, you know, and I'm not an Americanist. Uh, I, I did not grow up in America, um, but but I thought a lot about the parallel between um, pogroms and lynching. Uh, although they're they're also very very different, but there are parallels. But the other parallel that I that I could really feel was, um, uh, you know, once anti-Semitism becomes uh, outlawed um so many so many uh you know soviet citizens are surprised and they say what we can't you know we can't attack jews anymore what's going on and i can imagine that feeling in in, in this country right um um you know, uh, when when uh, people of color are finally, uh, you know, um, 
in theory, at least based on, uh, you know, in legal terms, considered uh, equal. And, um, and, and so many, um, uh, you know, Americans are asking, what, what? We, can't, uh, we can't turn against them? We can't lynch them? We can't, you know, are they really, uh, you know, so it addresses so many questions of, um, um, you know, my research uh, of, um, you know, what, what does a minority, how do you, um, how do you succeed in, um, in integrating, in um, harmoniously integrating uh, a minority group. I mean, in the Soviet Union, it, it wasn't, it did not really happen fully uh, as, um, as, as, as it could have been expected based on, uh, on the laws. And in this country, it certainly did not happen. Um, so, um, you know, I think my, my book um, uh, helps, helps us um, having more questions and of course, um, in order to, to, you know, to find the answers. I, I think that we need to ask ourselves more questions before we can, um, we can, you know, find the correct answer. Absolutely. And I, I, I didn't mean to suggest that, that um, you had to have the answers, but I think what's so important and such a reminder is that you gave us the, the history, gave us the context, and it's those things that we can revisit and try to move forward from, um, and we have to keep being reminded of all of these things in terms of looking collectively and more universally at here's a history, um, uh, and and how do we learn from that history, which we seem to have to do over and over and over again. Uh, absolutely, I guess absolutely, and and uh, and you know. I think that in order to fully understand racism, of course, it depends on the context, right? Racism mm -hmm. in America is, um, is it really depends on the context, but by analyzing other contexts and other forms of hatred, um, uh, I think that we can better understand racism in America. Um, I think that what Jews endured in, um, um, in um, in the context that I analyze, that I study uh, in the interwar, during the war, and the, the post-war period, um, you know, is um, has a lot of similarities with uh, with racism in this country, um, and and I think it's it's an important reminder of what we are uh, living through uh, now. And last quick question for you. Um, no, I think, well, I've never written a book, but the, the journey must be one where you have a starting point and you're working towards a direction. Um, and I wonder along the way what changed or surprised you or pivoted you in a different direction in working on this. Um, well, I, I will tell you that in the beginning I wanted to write a book only about the blood libel, ritual murder accusation against Jews, but, but um, again, I'm going back to Rocco Feigenberg and her accounts, um, the accounts that she wrote for Jewish historian 
uh, Elias Cherikover, who was um, who dedicated most of his life to collecting evidence and witness accounts uh, about the pogroms of the Civil War, and I I, want, I just want to go back to her work and and um, and you know how uh, how important it was for me to think about um, to think about um, anti-Jewish violence and um, and and how it changed and how it evolved from 19th century to uh, 1918, 1921. Um, what remains the same in in these rituals of violence, but what changes, um, and um, and what the memory of these events? Uh, what is the memory of these events? So uh, you know, I just want to go back to her and and how. Um, how important her work uh, has been for me. And will you continue to translate her memoir? Um, I, um, you know what, Lisa, you know, to tell you the truth, I need a break from violence and mm -hmm. uh, anti-Semitism. <laughs> my, my first book uh, has, has very little on anti-Semitism. Uh, yes, then I edited this volume on, on genocide and I do, teach genocide and, and courses on the Holocaust. But uh, this book was very, um, it was very hard to write. It was very, um, um, it took a, it took a toll emotionally. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I think I need a break from, um, from, from this. Um, I will, um, I will eventually go back to Rachel Feigenberg. I want to write uh, maybe, uh, you know, something, that focuses on her work uh, from the interwar period, uh, from um, you know, from the later years. Um, but I think I need to move away from uh, from pogroms and ritual murder right now. <laughs> I'm, you know, what 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 is going on in general with uh, um, with um, uh, you know the pandemic and the murder of uh, George Floyd and uh, the demonstrations. And, uh, you know, I, I need to take a step back from this. I need something more uh, positive. Um, we'll come to the country and <laughs> we can sit far apart from one another and just take in a sunny day. Yes. Um, <laughs> so again, for our listeners, the book which is recently published is Legacy of Blood, Jews, Programs and Ritual Murder in the Lands of the Soviets. It's available at shop.yiddishbookcenter.org um, as well as other booksellers across the country. Um, Alyssa, thank you for the work. It's, it really was, for me, an amazing read and one that really gave me a whole new understanding of an aspect of um, Jewish history. Uh, and uh, I hope to have you back again sometime with your next book. And in the meantime, stay well and safe. Thank you, Lisa. Sei gesund. You've been listening to The Schmooze, a production of the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts. To subscribe to this and other podcasts, visit YiddishBookCenter.org. I'm Sarah Bleichfeld. Be well, be healthy, and tune in again soon.